0: Church. Good morning. Uh, It is my joy uh, to be here knowing that your pastor is enjoying the sunshine of, of Hawaii, a much needed rest for so faithful a pastor. Well, I turn your attention to a very familiar story from the book of Genesis, the Old Testament. So, would you open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis and to chapter 11? Genesis 11, I'll be reading from verses 1 down to verse 9. Church, hear God's word. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had Asphalt for mortar, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all of the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we turn our full attention now to the exposition and to the preaching of your holy and living word. It is your voice that we long to hear. Give us ears to hear and and minds that understand and hearts that are soft and ready to receive. Speak to us, Lord, in and through what you have already spoken. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the story of Babel, as you know, is ancient. It is ancient. An ancient story that is all too modern. We might say that it is timeless. Because it is. It is the story of fallen humanity trying to build... A secular city. Mind you, it was not so much a tower that they were trying to build, but a city with a tower as its city center. A, a city with a tower. This tower, as it were, in the middle of the city. Ancient Babel was founded by its patriarch, a man whose name was Nimrod, who we were introduced to in Genesis chapter 10, the previous chapter, in verse 10. And in Genesis chapter 10 verse 10 we find that the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. Nimrod was if you will he was the first Babylonian. Now his name Nimrod means rebel, rebel. Nimrod was a tyrant. Nimrod was a despot. He was a he was a bloodthirsty man. He was a man hunter and a murderer, a manhunter who established his power by conquest and by force. And so these primitive Babylonians, we discover here in Genesis 11, that the kingdom that Nimrod built, these primitive Babylonians, they, they followed in the spirit of their father Nimrod in an attempt to build and organize here godless society. Godless civilization. Now, by godless, by secular, by godless secular society, I don't mean a society that has no place for a god, for for God, generally speaking. No, in fact, I think these Babylonians believed in God. They, they, they believed in, in religion. And so what I mean by secular and godless is... Is not atheism, not atheism. Because paganism and as you know, pagans pagans still believe in God. But but their God, the God of the pagans, is all too human. Pagan gods are, are humanized gods, gods who can be appeased and, and manipulated, who can be who can be angered and then pacified by human means. And thus, these gods can be controlled. Church, I suggest to you this morning that the idea here at Babel is that with the right technique, uh, with the right technology, with the right expertise, we can domesticate God. Not so much that we ascend into the heights, but it's that we can we can bring Him down. We can entice and and manipulate Him to come down and to dwell with us. Friends, like all of the ancient Near East religions, like the Greek pantheon of gods, all of man-made religion, these Babylonians, they believed that God was like them they assumed that the God was was human like them or human ish and, and he could thus be enticed and, and manipulated and ultimately controlled. Which which, mind you, only makes the one who entices and manipulates and controls greater than the God who's being controlled and manipulated. This, friends, is, as we read, the name that they seek to make for themselves. Look at verse 4. They say, Come, let us make a name for ourselves. I suggest to you that this is not some simple story about a bunch of people trying to build a tall tower. Friends, that is too simplistic. That is crude and, and too basic. They weren't, as it were, they weren't that dumb. Although, although, professing to be wise, they became fools here. And God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. You see, they're not so much trying to to go up as they are trying here to bring God down in order to de-God God and thus deify themselves. This is what all pagans do. This is what all humanist, secular societies do. This is what fallen humanity does. Man becomes the measure of all things. Human achievement, and human expertise, and human ingenuity. And they always try to humanize God, and bring Him down. Why? Why does fallen man try to humanize God? Well, simply put, in order to deify self. So that they could look at themselves and and proclaim to others, look at what we can do. Look look what, what, what we have accomplished. Friends, the story of Babel is ancient, but it is all too modern. Here we see civilization that's built on human technology alone, bent on human wisdom alone. Look at verse 3, if you look down at your text. They say this, come, they say, come, let us. And again, verse 4, come, let us. No, beloved, these are God's words. He said, come, let us make man In our image, you remember from Genesis chapter 1. Friends, these are God's words. But fallen humanity says, no, no, no. Let us make ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make our own name. And our greatness and our name will be epitomized in this great city built by us built by our wisdom and by our might and others will come people will come and they will marvel at what we have done and they will say who did this uh, who built this great city beloved this is the epitome of human pride and hubris one of the greatest preachers who ever preached you know the name a man who left thousands Spellbound, he said, "This let the name of Whitfield perish, but Christ be glorified. Let my name die everywhere." He said, "Let even my friends forget me, if, if by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted." End quote. Oh, but, but these Babylonians, they said to themselves and among themselves, "Let us make a name." for ourselves. Beloved, this isn't just pride. This isn't just a cautionary tale about pride. There is more here. Friends, this is a rival worldview. This is a rival cosmology. A worldview that builds companies, that builds cities, and societies, and nations, This worldview gives rise to economies and industry and culture, the tech sector. Now, I'm not saying that those things are inherently bad. But we, as the church, cannot be so naive as to think that these things are value neutral. They are not. Mankind, since the fall, builds on the foundation, on the false foundation of human Self-sufficiency. Babel, beloved, is a way of life. It is a way of thinking. Babel is a pattern of life. And we see this throughout Scripture. In both the Old and the New Testament, Babylon, while an ancient people and a real civilization, Babylon symbolizes godless society. Babylon symbolizes godless materialism, man-centered human achievement. These are epitomized in Babel. Beloved, God's judgment is on Babel. And so Genesis 11 is a severe warning. It is a warning to every generation, to all peoples, and to every individual as well. Beloved, godless society, man-centered civilization, is built on A rotten foundation. This is what Augustine, 4th century church father, refers to as the city of man. Built by man and for man for the glory of man's name. The Bible is, as Augustine and some of you who like reading the classics, as Dickens once wrote, the Bible is a tale of two cities. The city of man and the city of God. But more on that, As we get to the end. Now, let me give you an outline so that you can hang your thoughts as we move through this passage on these points. Five words this morning. Five words. Firstly, we're going to talk about unity. Unity. Secondly, significance. Thirdly, safety. Safety. Fourthly, judgment. And finally, the last word a city. God's city the city of God, if you will, a new Jerusalem. Babel ends, as you well know, in failure. It ends in judgment. But what God builds, what what Christ builds, even the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail. Jesus said to Peter, you well remember, Matthew 16, I will build my church. And so you know where we're going. Okay. Okay. Let's look at unity and think about unity first. Now, not all unity is good, as is true here. Unity among sinners with sinful intent is and will only lead to disaster. This is an unholy unity, a unity that is against God. And notice that Communication here in Genesis 11 is is a great factor in the unity of these people. Uh, They had a unifying language, a universal dialect, if you will. It was used and abused, this universal language, for nefarious purposes. But, beloved, before Babel, we were, the human race, we were linguistically advanced. Uh, this This is demonstrating our primitive greatness. We were linguistically advanced. We were, we were smarter. But sin has so spiraled and has a spiraling effect, a degrading effect. It is corrosive. And, and someone, uh, you know, they, they asked me recently, they said this. They said, uh, can you give me a list of uh, uh, your top three modern authors? And I told them, listen, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I only read people who are dead. <laughs> in, a, in a very real sense, I've been discipled by dead people. Now, it's not because I'm, I'm trying to be antiquarian. It's that the dead guys have written, and what they've written is just so much better in my mind, so much smarter, deeper, richer, and more profound. I don't believe we're getting smarter. The sin's spiraling effect is actually making us, I believe, dumber, despite the development of all of this technology. That said, look at verses 1 and 2. The whole earth is united here. They're united under one language, And one speech. Now, it's not that there weren't other languages. I believe there were other languages at the time. It's that they had one universal uniting language. And notice that they moved eastward. They move, as Steinbeck said, east of Eden. They're moving eastward. Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden eastward. Cain is said to have, he has departed from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The land of Nod is is literally the land of of wandering. Wandering as, as all those who depart from God, they wander further east, as it were, away from the presence of the Lord. And so we read here that sinful humanity, united in rebellion, united under one tongue, they journey from the east and settle in the plain of Shinar, wanderers, as it were, just like Cain once was. And now, why did they unite? Why did they journey together? What, what were they looking for? Look at verse 3. They speak to one another in one voice. With a united purpose. Theirs is a, a collective rebellion. Verse 3 says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. There was a united purpose. Now, at first, this might not sound very technologically advanced to you, but it was. There's technology at work here. If you know anything about ancient empires, and I'm sure you do from your studies, you know that ancient empires were built by stone. Carved stone was predominantly used for building things like thrones and and temples and monuments and palaces and towers. But here we read that they use brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. Some of your translations say bitumen for mortar. Now, bitumen is like sticky tar. It's like uh, the sticky tar that we, we drive over every single day. It is used today, this mortar, this bitumen, to waterproof roofs and roads and highways. The NASB says that they used tar for mortar. Interesting, the NIV says this. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. All of that to say this, while this might not sound technologically advanced to you, it was for those days, which speaks to the point. The more technologically advanced that man becomes, the greater he thinks he is. And often the lesser he thinks of God. And so here they are. United, taking great pride in their technological advancement. United to build a city and to build a tower. United to build a city that celebrates the greatness of, of man. Now, why? What was, what is their goal? What is their end? Look at verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves For ourselves, in other words, a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And here it is. Let us make a name for ourselves. Which brings us to our second word. Significance. Significance. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves and to establish themselves. They sought fame and reputation. Stated negatively, they were insecure. They felt insignificant. Friends, fallen sinful man is always looking for significance. But let me say to you, beloved, that significance and purpose, your significance and your purpose, can only be found in the Creator. This is where we find our significance, our identity. This is important for young people today. Young people who are trying to find significance and experiences or in their profiles, in their social media pages. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Come, everyone, look and like what I have done. People today boast about all kinds of things, ridiculous things they do. They take pride in their silly little towers. Now, in my silly little pastoral world, look at the church that I built. This is what it sounds like. Look at look at the books that I have published. Listen to my podcast because apparently everyone has a podcast now. Did you hear the sermon that I preached? The conference I spoke at, I went to this school, I have this degree. Friends, that, in my world, that disgusts me. How about this? I, I work for this company. Uh, I, I built this startup. Uh, here's, here's my investment strategy. Uh, I have this many followers, this many likes, this many retweets. This is absolutely ridiculous. We, we are looking for significance in all the wrong places. No, beloved. God made us. And this is, He is the only place where you will and we will find our true identity and our true significance. But this is Babel, you see. Babel is all around us, is it not? And if we don't come to God, then we will seek somehow, some way, to build a Babel of our own. Because if we are brutally honest, brutally honest, we want people around us. It's all in us. We, it, it, listen, we want people around us to come to our city and to see our tower and say, Wow, so great, you did that? That is amazing. Who built this great city? Listen, beloved, if you don't get anything out of this sermon this morning, please get this. These people were trying to find significance, to, to build significance in a world that revolved around man. But listen, church, God has so created the world, and He has so created you, that you will never find your true significance until your life revolves around and is built upon God. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Listen to Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. He, that is Christ, he died for all that so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Our third word is safety. Now this is Big today. Safety. Safety. Who doesn't want to be safe? Who doesn't want to be secure? Mankind sees how vulnerable he is, and so we seek to protect ourselves. Secular governments do the same. Trust in us, they say. We can protect you. And they make promises. They write checks that they can't cash. Now, we seek safety and security, from, well, from, from all kinds of things today. But what do we do about uh, all the economic unrest? What about all the civil unrest? What about violence and, and crime? Who will protect us from the climate crisis? The, the crisis at the border? What can we do to protect ourselves from the onslaught of progressive culture? Uh, The the collapse of our education system and the collapse of traditional values. What can we do to protect ourselves and to keep our families safe? And so fallen man turns to man-made solutions. They turn to salvation by technology. They turn to salvation by human wisdom and by human invention and ingenuity. Oh, how about this? Salvation by capitalism and free markets. Salvation by democracy and democratic elections. Salvation by, how about this one, private school. Oh no, better yet, salvation by Christian school. Oh, even better, how about this one? No, salvation by homeschooling. Stronger borders, more recycling, better schools, higher wages, more technology, better health care. Again, these things are not bad per se. But we should not assume that these things are value-neutral. We should ask ourselves, what worldview is driving these safety measures? What is driving all of this hysteria? Look at verse 4. They say, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They're building this tower so so that they're not scattered. And beloved, there's something sinister here. There's something diabolical right here. Because they sought safety from God's commands. From God's plans and purposes. You remember, it was God who said to Adam, and he also said to Noah. He said, be ye fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God wanted his image bearers to spread out on all of the earth. To fill and subdue the earth. But they wanted the exact opposite. They wanted to protect themselves from God's commands. They wanted safer and they wanted secure. They wanted to be safe and secure from God's commandments. They're trying to protect themselves from the very thing that God told them to do. But this, my friends, is backwards. Beloved, God made man. And He provides for all of our needs. It is God who protects and it is God who provides. He is our great defender, our shield, and our defender. Listen to Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in time of need, in time of trouble. Isaiah 25.4, He is a shelter. God is a shelter in the storm. He is a shade from the heat. Psalm 61 verse 3 says this, A shelter He is. God is a strong tower against our enemies. We sing, and you sing, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, which is a a rampart. It is a strong wall a fortification. A bulwark that never faileth. But these men, these Babylonians, sought their safety and security and their own human achievement and technological advancement and what they could build in their own devices brothers and sisters what are you trying to protect yourself from and where do you find your safety and security i find it interesting today that all of the technology that is supposed to make us safer and secure is the exact technology that is in fact making us unsecure and insecure. Now, let's be honest. We were so scared of COVID, and let me be the first to admit that that I was. We were so worried about protecting ourselves, so much so that many of us suffered spiritually. And and there are plenty of people who just never came back to church. You know them. There are plenty of people who are still trying to protect themselves from the very thing that God commands that we come together as His people, that we give to Him the worship that He is worthy of. Beloved, I suggest to you that there's something sinister. And there was something sinister at work here. What we fear, beloved, will reveal what we worship. And these Babylonians were afraid of being scattered because they felt vulnerable. They wanted to protect themselves, they wanted safety, they wanted security. And so they found it not in God, not in His commands, not in His revealed will, but instead in their own inventions, in their own devices, in their own ability and achievements. Why? What does this reveal? They sought safety in human technology and achievement and ingenuity because they worshipped themselves. Because they sought the glory of their own name. Come, let us make a name for ourselves, they said. Beloved, do you see that it is always those who seek their own glory who are the most insecure people? Do you see that? Listen to David. This is Psalm 3. One of my favorite psalms. David writes this. This is a psalm. This is a psalm of, of praise. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are those who save me. There is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me. My glory in the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me all around. David was surrounded, as it were, by his enemies. And can you imagine being the enemy on the rampart wall looking into Jerusalem? And you're at war? And then David goes to sleep? What does that tell you? That he has... A secret weapon that we know nothing of. David can lay himself down to sleep knowing that God was his protector. What are you afraid of? What are you protecting yourself from? What makes you feel safe? Fourthly, our fourth word judgment. Look at verse 5 as you go back to Genesis 11. Verse five, And there's a hard contrast in verse 5, as you can see. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men had built. There's a hard contrast here between sinful man and holy God. And please note, God's judgment, his judgment here is not so much that they were scattered. No, God actually scatters them in his grace. In his kindness, he scatters them. Their being scattered is not judgment. It is no judgment at all, but but simply God accomplishing His will, restraining their sin. And God here is accomplishing what He had intended with Adam and Eve at creation. And so, beloved, this scattering is a mercy. He stopped their sin. He comes down. He reverses their sinful desires and purposes. and, And God flipped their sinister intent on its head. And that, beloved, is a mercy. When God does that, it is a a sign of His mercy. And so look at verses 6 and 7. The Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so we see that God is here restraining their sin. Calvin said this, of the flood. He said that the flood was a mercy. And I read that and I was confused. I was like, wait, didn't he destroy the world? How is that merciful? And Calvin says this, because God stopped their sin. God said, this far and no further. Years ago, I was praying with a group of pastors after someone in someone's church had suddenly passed away and the person who passed away was a christian but this man was getting tangled up in sin there was a struggle with sin and then there was repentance and then there was backsliding and then repentance and then and then relapse well this brother suddenly died and as we prayed this one pastor said he said this he says lord we're devastated by this loss but we thank you for taking him when you did no more sin No more struggle. Lest he fall deeper and deeper and dishonor your name. Thank you that you stopped his sin and now he is no longer sinning against you. And so while God comes down to judge, there is great mercy here. God was restraining their sin and thus his wrath. His judgment then consisted of the confusion of languages. So, that now they're no longer able to communicate. They're no longer able to unite. And so, it is the confusion of languages that is as judgment. And now, all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, it is the confusion of language that it becomes a sign of judgment. We read of this in Deuteronomy and then Isaiah, and then Paul refers to this confusion of language in his discussion of tongues in the book of Corinthians, chapter 14. And so God comes down here in judgment, confusing their language, restraining and preventing them from further sin. Were it not for God's judgment, no doubt, they would have planned greater sin and greater rebellion. And so God has set a restraint around sin by this confusion. I listened to a sermon years ago when I was a young man on Babel, on this passage. And the preacher, I remember, said this. I didn't understand it then, but I, I feel like I understand it a bit more now. He said this. More frightening than nations at war, as we see today, more frightening than world war is a unified humanity. Unified under a new world world. Order. He said, There will be more death under a new world order than would be as it is today with nations divided, with nations at war. If you don't believe me, just study early 20th century Russia and the gulags. If you don't believe me about this new world order, then study post World War I, the Weimar Republic in Germany, and the rise of Nazism. If you don't believe me, study Vietnam or Pol Pot's Killing Fields. If you don't believe me, then read 1984. Study history. Friends, I suggest to you that unity among sinners and unity and cooperation among sinners in a godless society is society divorced from God. And this is more deadly and dangerous than all of the national division and war that are today. In other words, it could be far worse. But for God's restraining hand. Finally, we compare and contrast the city of man and the city of God. Now, you know, we know that Babel ends in judgment. What they sought to accomplish comes to naught. Look at verses 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all of the earth. Unless the Lord builds, those who labor, labor in vain. In the days of Babel, God came down to judge. But there was coming and is coming a day where God will complete His salvation. He will bring to completion what He began in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There was coming a day from the perspective of Babel where God would unite all things and all peoples, heavenly things and earthly things in Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 1.20. Jesus reconciles all things, Paul says, making peace through the blood of his cross. Babel began with man reaching up in sin, while God and God's church begins with God coming down to save us from our sin. It has been said that Babel was built on pride built on human will and human achievement, while God's church is built by one who was content to be of no reputation, who humbled himself, who being found in the appearance of a man, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He, who was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he was not trying to make a name for himself. Therefore, Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those in heaven and on the earth. And a chilling expression, those under the earth. My non-Christian friend, perhaps you're here. Jesus Jesus did not come here to condemn the world but that sinners might be saved from the just punishment that their sins deserve. And He does so by laying down His life as a substitute for sinners. He died on a cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust in Him. And then He rose on the third day to give eternal life to all who repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from yourself and turn to Christ. Turn or you will stand guilty before God. And you will be punished for your sins. And you will be condemned in hell forever. Come to Christ today. Put your trust in Him. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And when you do, you will be brought into the city of God. You will become a citizen of heaven. The Bible, in a very real sense, is a tale of two cities the city of man or Babylon. The city of destruction, as Bunyan once wrote. And the city of God. I love thy kingdom, Lord. The heavenly Zion. A new Jerusalem. A celestial city. This is the church of the living God. And so let me ask you today, to which city do you belong? Where is your citizenship? I close with this. If you know anything about the book of Genesis, and I'm sure you do, I know your Bible readers. Genesis chapter 11, right after this section in Babel, issues into a genealogy. Now, where is this genealogy taking us? To one man. To a man named Abraham. Genesis 12 is the calling of Abraham. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? We'll close with this. Hebrews 11. And let's begin in verse 8. Follow along. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city. He waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child. When she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in a multitude. Innumerable as the sand which is on the sea. Now, look down at verse 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Embraced them and and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And so, which To which do you belong? To which city? And which city are you living for? And living in? Let's come to God in prayer. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Lord, we seek this blessing. And in so doing, we confess our sins. We confess our sins. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord, even as you promised. For we have placed all of our trust in Jesus Christ, our advocate, our our sacrifice, our Lord and Savior. And as recipients of your forgiveness and grace in Jesus, We are broken and humbled by your kindness toward us in Him. Why would a righteous and a good God send His only begotten Son to die for worthless sinners like us? Lord, we confess that we don't know. But we do know that in the mystery of your divine grace, this is exactly what you did. And you did it for our eternal good and for your eternal glory. And now as our worship continues, Lord, receive our worship. Be pleased with our worship, for we offer to you in spirit and truth in the name of the only begotten of God,